Hear now the word of God. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, pray your blessing upon it as we hear it preached. May you be glorified. May your people be fed. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Again, I want to applaud Heath for the wonderful bulletin. Basically, I think I'm just going to preach what he's already done for us. Um, in many ways, I, I am, because this is probably going to be, in, in some regards, one of my simplest sermons ever. The main point is the title, He Saved Us. And if you are to listen to the words of the hymns as they've been sung, listen to the words of the scriptures that have been read, listen to the prayers, listen to the words of the shorter catechism, you have been led in the right direction to the place of where everything that I could say has been said already. The issue is, I believe, what impact does that have on us? It's easy to come to church and you have the words of the hymns there for you, and you sing them, but do they sink down below your mind as you're reading them and your mouth as you're speaking them to your heart to where the fullness of what is said there sinks in? This passage from Titus reminds us of what we once were. And we've already been reading and singing about our sins were as crimson, that the stain was, was definitely upon us, but God cleansed us from that. We've had that wonderful time of confessing our sin and the, the section that Heath selected there, uh, again, is powerful. No day of my life, if you want to turn back over there on page five, oh Lord, no day of my life has passed that is not 
proved me guilty. The passage that we're going to read from Titus looks backward, in a sense, of what we were like and where we were while we were in the world apart from Christ. But there's still that lingering element of sin that has its stain upon us, that is being, we are being sanctified through that and being continually cleansed and made righteous in, in Christ's sight by the ongoing work of Christ in us and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit but we still have that everyday sense of falling short and not measuring up. It harkens back to the way that we were. Some of these things that are listed in Titus are things that are still part of our own lives as we struggle with them on a day-to-day basis. The second line of that confession prayers have often been from a prayerless heart. Done out of rote done out of just going through the motions. And I would dare say that there are some here this morning as we have prayed these prayers who have done those things, who have said those prayers going through the motions. Even my best works are filthy rags. Though my sins rise to heaven, your merits are above. And he goes on to exalt who Christ is. I am guilty but pardoned, lost but saved, wandering but found, sinning but cleansed. What a wonderful thing to be reminded of. Do those words have impact on you today? Do you feel the the freeness, the freshness, the renewal? of what it means to be saved. In essence, what I want to do today is remind you of the gospel. Remind you of the gospel message that we were sinners, not capable of of saving ourselves, but God sent his son, that whosoever believes in him shall inherit eternal life. That's what this table is about. That's why at least once a month you celebrate this. Because it's the work of Christ on our behalf. He saved us. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot go on and lead a Christian life to any sort of glory and praise to him in our own power and might. He saved us and has empowered us. He has regenerated us. He has renewed us. And because of that, we are able to sing his praises and to feel his presence with us. Those uh, conditions that are listed there in verses, uh, in verse 3, in particular, for we ourselves, back in Titus chapter 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions and pleasures. I I find myself thinking, as Bill, I think it was, prayed about the world that is so divided around us. No wonder. This is a description of people without Christ. 
This is a description of the world around us. What do we expect from the world? I think sometimes we expect the world to behave better than it does. But these are things that are true in describing the, the, the people and the condition of the world around us. Foolish. Again, we've been there, right? We're still at risk of that, right? We can still uh, not go in accordance with the things of God and the wisdom that is revealed to us in his word. We can still go our own way and be foolish in the things that we do, the things that we think, how we act. Disobedient. Disobedient to whom? Disobedient to God, right? Disobedient to the things of God, to what he has taught us, how he has revealed himself. It's, it's amazing to me, of course, being a Christian and having the Holy Spirit in me, and as Paul relates to the Corinthians, that there are things that are spiritually discerned, that the world doesn't have that type of discernment. The world doesn't have the spirit that is able to give them insight. And therefore, the things of God are foolishness, are stumbling blocks to the people of the world. It's amazing to me that people don't buy into creation. I mean, really, it's amazing to me. I've been reading some in Charles Hodge, who was a theologian back in the 1800s, early 1800s, mid-1800s, and he's, he's a contemporary with Darwin. And, and, the, and his second volume on anthropology, he's talking about Darwin, who just turned this paper in or just wrote this book and, and how, the, how the world is reacting to Darwin. And it's really fascinating to read that from a contemporary perspective with the basic idea that, they're all, that those, those uh, theories are based upon assumptions. And a lot of the contemporaries in that day just said those assumptions don't hold weight, don't hold water. That the assumptions that they make, that Darwin makes in particular, are, are too far out there to be accepted. Of course, we see now 100-something years later, 200, almost 200 years later, how that has gripped the world. So I don't understand how people can disregard and disobey the things of God that are revealed for us in scriptures. I don't understand it all. There's a passage in Jeremiah that says the secret things of God are, are not revealed, but what is revealed is for us. And so there's a lot of things that we can't always put into a, a nice, neat formula. But yet we can be disobedient to the things that we do know, that we do see. Led astray. What a perfect description of the people of the world. Led astray into things of, uh, of convenience. I, I really think, I'm not a great philosopher, except in my own mind. And then I'm the best. See, pride, right? I've, I've got too much of that. Thinking more highly of yourself than you should. I've got too much of that. You can go through lots of scriptures and say, at least I can, i got too much of that. But it seems to me that the main problem with the world 
and I think it's encroaching into the church, is self. It's about what the world can do for me, what government can do for me, what the church can do for me. What is it that makes me feel good? You're not my president. This isn't my country anymore. That the standard of measuring anything and everything is me. It really is getting back, I think, biblically speaking, to the time of the judges where everyone did what they thought was right in their own minds, in their own hearts. And so, of course, there's division. Because it's all about me, and how many me's are there? There's a lot. So these things are described here about people who... um, are led astray, slaves to their own passions. You know, that's a me thing. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And that that first one, hated by others, some commentators refer to that, to the idea of being detestable. Just being so unappealing and obviously depraved and about the worst people you can be. We got a handful of those in the world as well who don't care about God, about others, only themselves. And then we hate one another. Just the venom that's present in the world is just amazing, isn't it? It's terrible. But, verse 4. But there is a salvation for people who are stuck into these things, who are victims of these ways of living and ways of thinking and ways of behaving. It's the work of Christ. He is the hope of the world. What is the solution to the ills of our nation, of our world, of our churches? It's Jesus. More of Jesus. More of Jesus in the sense that we understand who he is and what he has done. More obedience. More reflecting upon his wisdom. All the contrary things that are listed here in these verses, flip them over to the other side. Those are the things that we need and those are the things that we receive as we allow Jesus to save us. Even though we're not perfect, even though we still fall short, even though we are you know, daily, as that uh, uh, passage from Vision, uh, Valley of Visions states, daily there's that sin that is always there present. The more we can understand and accept and reflect the salvation that Jesus has brought to us, the better it's going to be. <clears throat> the gospel. <clears throat> I once was lost, but now I'm saved. The gospel. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. I cannot be right enough. And sometimes we think that we can be. And sometimes we really work hard to be. And I think about all the kids here. There's a bunch, you guys have got a bunch of kids around here. Hey. It's good. 
All of you guys that are, uh, oh, let's say, probably most of you guys are under 12, right? How many of you kids are over 12? Uh, yeah, okay, just, just two or three or four, yeah. You guys, forget it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is good for you guys, too. But more and more, over the, the over 12s are going to, as we all have experienced, that, that self is going to get bigger and bigger and more of a thing to be challenged with. But probably for the under 12s, there's a sense of, I want to do well. I want to make good grades. I want to be obedient. I never want to disappoint my parents. Maybe a little bit. I think there's some reality to that, whether you own it or, or admit it or not. And let me tell you, under 12s and over 12s and over 50s and under 50s, you can't do well enough to be accepted by God. I have probably, well, prob I can strike the word probably, they are the best grandchildren ever. Uh, there's two of them at this point, Elliot and Alden. Four and two. But already their favorite word, or a word that is most, it's not their favorite word, it's a word that they use a lot, is the word mine. <laughs> Have you ever seen a four and a two-year-old go at it with each other? The, the issue is the, <laughs> the, the two-year-old is bigger than the four-year-old, almost. He, he was the bigger of the, the, Elliot was premature a little bit, so he's a little bit smaller. Uh, but they, they'll go right at it over the mine issue. But they're still the greatest grandchildren on the face of the earth, no doubt. I say all that to, to, to it, it's, it's a simple truth that I wish I could pour into my own heart and my own mind as well as to yours the depth of what this is. It may be emotional. I think there can be an emotional aspect to it. There is an intellectual aspect to it. But there's got to be a deep, full person aspect to it that is hard to achieve. That I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I never was. I'm not now. But I will be. The depth of my lostness is not as great as it was, but it's still there. What I want us to do, and this is where I really want to thank Heath again, go back to the Shorter Catechism. Because those distinctions are uh, really important in those terms. Justification is an act of God's free grace. And the terms that are used in the Greek are the terms that mean a completed, fulfilled action. You cannot be any more justified than you are that first 
minute, that first hour that you became a believer. I love the, the, see, you guys don't have hymnals anymore, do you? Oh, there's one down there. Okay, I may get it in a minute. Um, To God be the glory, the second verse of that, and the second half of that verse. And if you want to break out singing, that's quite all right. You can do that too. Says, um, the vile, that's not where I put it. I put it over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Looking at the wrong place. See, I'm just so imperfect in many, many ways. To God be the glory, page 55 in the Trinity hymnal, if you have that. Second verse, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus forgiveness receives. And what justification means is that it is complete, it is full, it is eternal, there is nothing lacking. As vile as you perhaps were, as awful as you think you could have been, as disobedient, when you believe in Jesus as your Savior, that moment God looks at you as if you are perfect he also adopts you what is adoption it is an act of God which means God has done it and it's all done once you are adopted by God no one can snatch you out of his hands you are his and you are his Forever. Nothing can change that. There may be some here who have been adopted. And you know a little bit about what that's like. In some regards, there's some sad aspects to that. But then on the other hand, there's some very positive things about that. That not knowing, especially if you were adopted as a young child, not knowing how you were going to be. They took you and brought you into their family. And you have been a part of their family ever since then. That's the way it is with God, except God knows what we are like. He knows our hearts were dark. He knows that we were foolish and disobedient. He knows that we were chasing after our passions and pleasures. He knows that we were all about ourselves, and yet he says, I will adopt you. As you come to faith in Christ, you are now my child, co-heirs with Christ forever. Forever you are part of God's family. And then sanctification. Sanctification is that aspect of how we are continually being changed. This is a great thing that God has done. Because if he, had, if he had justified us, and he did, by the work of Christ, if he has adopted us, and he has, and now we are legally part of his family and co-heirs with Christ, but if he just left us to our own devices to struggle with our sin nature, what an awful mess that would be. But there is the presence of the Spirit And we are able to grow in our sanctification. 
we are able to grow in our holiness. Even though it's not perfect, it's good. Every time you can say that you are standing upon a biblical truth and relying upon it rather than choosing the opposite, such as loving your neighbor as yourself, having respect, wives having respects for your husbands, husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Every time you do that, even once, that's coming from the sanctifying presence of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Every time you choose to have integrity with your bank account, with your employer, those are things that don't just come natural. Those are things that naturally go the other way when you're full of yourself. Those things grow and we develop and we become more and more like Christ. The benefits in this life, going back to what the catechism says, which accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are these. Assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, progress in holiness, and perseverance in it to this life's end. It's not all about heaven. There's a change in us now in this life because of the work of Christ, because he saved us. Let me say this. I would like for myself and for you to think about the work of Christ in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in our minds, in our behavior, and think of those works and actions and blessings of God were not there. I fear what that would be like. And so I come to the place of saying as we hear the things of God, as we sing his praises as we hear the doctrinal truths, as we read the scriptures, as we approach the sacraments, even the sacrament of baptism, the washing and renewing that, that is a part of that sacrament. Personally, I want to celebrate. And I don't. I don't celebrate as much as I should. Hazel doesn't like it when I use the word should. But that's okay. As much as I want to. And that's a better way to say it. He has saved us. <laughs> that's, that is amazing. You guys don't know me from the past. 
I've had some rough past. God delivered. Here's the gospel. If there's anyone in this room that has not heard the gospel or responded to it, let me share with you simply what it is. There is a God. He is our creator. He is our Lord. He is the one who sits upon the throne. All things were made by him and belong to him. You may not buy into that because the world has a difficulty buying into that. But I think if you look around at the creation, the creation shouts out the designer that is there, God himself. And we have fallen short of what he has called us to be as his creation. We don't acknowledge him as Lord. We don't acknowledge him as God. Instead, we are really, truly full of ourselves. I believe the reason most people don't become Christians, personally speaking, is because they don't want to give up something. They don't want to give up a relationship that they shouldn't be involved in. They don't want to give up perhaps the money that they think they'll have to give up or the power or whatever it might be. They want to do what they want to do because it makes them feel good. And they have the sense that by following God, I will have to stop enjoying my life. Let me tell you, that's a lie. That is a lie. It's very prominent out there. But we cannot save ourselves. There's a great chasm between us and God, and he sent his son to fill that chasm, to build that bridge, to reach down to us and to be our savior. That if we turn to him and the work that he has done on the cross, because what he did on the cross, by the way, and when we look at the bread, we see that that means that he gave his body for us. That he went to the cross. Because God is a righteous, holy, and just God. And he cannot overlook things just for the heck of it. Because he's righteous and holy and just, there must have be a, a penalty, a punishment. Jesus took that punishment for us. He went to the cross. And God poured out on him all the wrath for sin that rightly is ours. And so Jesus gave his body to receive that punishment instead of me. And while he was there, he was also pierced in his side and blood came flowing out. The cup that we take refers to his blood. And you have to get into the Old Testament a lot to understand a lot about this. But simply speaking, 
Life is in the blood. And with the sprinkling of the blood, those who were dead were covered with the life of Christ. We've been sprinkled and covered with the life that is in Christ's blood. And so we are cleansed. And all of this is offered as a free gift. And for many people, the stumbling block is all you have to do is believe it. You got to believe it. That's it. It's not believe and do some good work. It's not believe and join this church. It's not believe and anything but believe. Believe in Jesus, that he is God's son and that he died on the cross and that the penalty he paid, he paid for me. And the moment you believe, no matter how awful, detestable, terrible you were, that moment you are accepted by God, justified and adopted. That's the gospel. It's not complicated. People of God. He has saved us. He has. Amen. Lord God. Holy Spirit, fill us with the magnitude of what that means. For Lord, we fall short, even in appreciating the work of Christ on the cross. We thank you for the sacrament we will be taking of, partaking of uh, in just a little bit. For, Lord, it is a visible and tangible reminder that we are saved by the work of Christ. Thank you, Lord. All praise and glory and honor be unto you now and forevermore. Amen.